There's a scene in the Gospels where um, the disciples and Jesus are in the garden and it's leading up to Jesus' arrest. And um, there's a moment where uh, things get a little bit crazy and uh, Peter swipes, grabs a sword and swipes the year off of a soldier uh, under the rule of the high priest. And uh, there's a little video we're going to watch and it just gives us a perspective from this soldier's eyes uh, and just help us to kind of draw into tonight's theme. So take a look at the screen as we watch that. I served an unapproachable God. While I, I served the high priest that served an unapproachable God. But everything changed in that one night. Everything changed in one night. I was drugged to the garden and then my ear... I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me back up. I was there in the garden with Judas. Judas knew exactly where Jesus was going to be. And we were all there waiting for him. It was crazy that night. His disciples were with him, but I saw Jesus. I I was very close to Jesus, and you could tell he was visibly upset. And uh, Judas kisses Jesus on the cheek, and I was standing so close that I heard Jesus call Judas friend. And that's the last thing I heard, because then moments later I heard nothing. I saw the flash of a blade come toward my face, and then I felt blood streaming down. And then it got quiet. And then I got dizzy. And then Jesus, he, he touched me. Like I said, I heard all the stories about Jesus, and I've heard all the stories about how Jesus healed people with his hands. There was this one time he he healed a person with, with dirt and spit. And so many people, he just healed them with his hands. But it wasn't his hands for me. It was the way he looked at me. It was his eyes. That's what broke me. His eyes were filled with compassion and grief and joy. And, and, when, he, and when he pulled his hand away, my ear, I mean... That night, everything I heard about that man had changed forever. They had a mock trial for him. Um... The whole night was just set up to condemn him. And he didn't say a word. He he just felt sorry for us. There was the sentencing. There was was Pilate, uh, the crucifixion. And then there was an earthquake. And then the veil. I was in the temple... I was in the temple when the veil was was ripped in half. Do you know what that means? I mean, even even I knew what that meant. God had invited us all in. The unapproachable God was now approachable. God was on the move.
I love that perspective. Um, I love when he says, um, you know, it wasn't his hands, it was something in his eyes that drew me, that made me understand more about who he was, and it was the compassion in his eyes. And when I heard that line, it just makes me think, like, how would Jesus be thinking in that moment in the garden leading up to his arrest, leading up to the cross? I mean, how would he have, even in that moment, love and grace and purpose, thinking about this soldier who just got his ear cut off? And I I love that perspective because it gives us a context because the context that, that, that the soldier's talking about is the garden, and we know what happens next. If you know the story of the Gospels, or even if you don't know, it leads towards Jesus' arrest, it leads towards his flogging, his beating, it leads towards the cross, it leads towards his death. In fact, Luke tells us that, that Jesus was in full view. He knew what was coming. Just previous to this happen, he, he, he prays um, intensely before his father, and he's like, God, if you could take this away from me, that would be great, but... I will fulfill your will. I will drink this cup. I will walk towards this moment. And when I think about that, it makes me realize that Jesus must have had a different perspective of the cross than the people around him. For him to, even in that moment, um, be so close and so impacting to this soldier, he had a different perspective leading up to the cross. In fact, there's a, there's a part in the Gospels where, where Jesus um, and Peter are having a discussion, and Jesus says, you know, eventually I'm going to die. And Peter tries to rebuke Jesus, and Jesus flips it on him and starts rebuking him and says, get behind me, Satan. Like, Peter, you're like the devil in this moment. You're not thinking God's thoughts. You're thinking your own thoughts. And so everyone knows where this is headed, that it's headed towards death, and yet the early church had this understanding of, uh, of Jesus leading towards his death, especially post the cross and resurrection, that is just amazing. And there's this, there's this verse, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that I think gives us a picture of how the church began to understand Jesus' approach to the cross that would have been different from those people witnessing it at the moment, or even logically what the world would think or what people even think today. It's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And it says this, talks about Jesus, says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's Jesus' approach to the cross. He endured something because he was walking towards something else. He endured something because he was walking towards something else. Think about just the context of this passage. It's, here's the writer of this letter writing to, to Christians that are uh, losing heart, that are weary, that are maybe they're feeling oppressed, uh, they're, they're feeling opposition from political leaders, they're feeling opposition from religious leaders, uh, and, and here's the writer writing to these Christians, and he's helping them gain hope, and he's pointing them to what Jesus did, and Jesus' understanding. 
In fact, the writer will then tell them, like, when you run this race of following Christ, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And then he'll say after this, he'll say, don't grow weary, don't lose heart. It's kind of the same words that you might tell a runner in a marathon. Have you ever been on a treadmill and you're two minutes in and you're like, I cannot do the 18 minutes, I'm going to die here. But when, but when you're two minutes to 20 minutes, when it's 18 minutes, you're like, I can do this. I can make it, right? And that's, that's, that's the words here that the writer wants to get to these believers. They're saying, don't lose heart. Don't grow weary. Keep running the race and look to Jesus. And so the writer tells us to look to Jesus for our inspiration, for our hope during a tough race. Why? Because Jesus endured the cross. Jesus walked through something because he knew what he was walking towards, the joy set before him. But that's strange. I mean, there was joy set before him. There was a cross set before him. That's what it seems like. It's ironic. It's like a paradox. I mean, how could he have joy in his mind, in his heart, knowing he was walking towards his death? Let me ask you a question. Maybe some of the even teens or kids in the audience could feel this. Like, what's the most joyful thing you desire? What's the most amazing thing you would want right now? Would it be like a new device? Would it be a good grade on your next history exam? Would it be if, depending where you are in life, this, maybe this job you're looking towards or maybe it's a relationship? What's the most joyful thing you could think of? And then, if you've answered that question, think of this question. What are you willing to endure to get it? What are you willing to endure to get the most joyful thing I mean, think of a farmer, right? A farmer who has to endure, like, like turning over the earth, when they used to do it by hand, you know, turning over the earth, and, he, and, and just endured that sacrifice because he knew that they were going to get a crop that was going to provide for their family. There was something they were walking towards, so they walked through something to get there. Think of a student who, who endures, like, you know, a long season of study because they know that there's, you know, there's joy at the other end. When I was 13, my parents told me that they were going to buy me a bike, but there was this catch, I never had, like, my own bike. And, and so my brother and I, my, my dad said, we're going to get your bike, but here's the deal, okay? You have to type out, and now some of you might think this is so weird, especially if you don't have a church background. He said, you've got to type out the whole book of Psalms. 13-year-old kids. There's 150 chapters in the book of Psalms, or 150 Psalms. And we had just back then, like, this is how old I am, we had this... this Commodore 64 computer. So he's like, hey, you got the computer, now you can type. So he was, if you want the bike, type the Psalms. <laughs> so we did. Now my, we cheated. My sister typed half, and we typed half. But we, we, we got through, like, we typed 75 of these Psalms, and she typed the other 75, I guess, but we did it because we wanted this bike. It was a blue bike with, with white handlebars. Later, I crashed it. But, you know, the, the reality is, is that there was something I was walking towards, so I was willing to walk through something else. And that's kind of what, what Jesus is feeling, but in such a much bigger way. The, the scripture says there was a joy set before him as he endured the cross. Jesus walked through the cross because he was walking towards joy. What was the joy he was walking towards? It wasn't the cross. It was the other end of the cross. And the other end of the cross was joy. And the joy on the other end of the cross was salvation. It was, it was thinking of humanity, of people, of you and me, who didn't have a relationship with their Heavenly Father, who were lost without Jesus, but on the other side of the cross, on the other side of the sacrifice, on the other side of his death and burial was a resurrection and was an accomplishment that would bring joy 
that would bring joy to anyone who would embrace the cross as well. The scripture says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says that, that, that God desires everyone to find salvation, everyone to find not only a relationship with him, but a life that is meaningful and purposeful here and today. That was the joy that was on the other side of the cross. And the other side of the cross also was his father, God the Father. It says that after he endured the cross, he sat on the right hand of the throne of God. So here's the deal. There was joy on the other end of the cross. But it says because of that joy, he endured the cross. He walked through the cross. He was walking to something. And because he knew what he was walking towards, he, was, he walked through something difficult. And I love what, what the writer says because he says it, he endured the cross. And this is what he says. He scorned its shame. He scorned, those are two negative words, because there was shame in the cross. I mean, criminals died on the cross, uh, liars died on the cross, cheaters died on the cross, political criminals died on the cross. These are the kind of people that died on the cross. When you, when you were put on the cross, you were scorned upon already. You were rejected from society. You were looked upon shamefully. And so the cross meant shame. The cross meant rejection. The, the cross meant you're, you're marginalized. The cross meant you're hated, And this verse says that Jesus scorned that shame. And the word scorn means like, I think nothing of it. I think little of it. He thought little of the shame. It became nothing to him. My mother-in-law loves to cook for for her family. And when we're all together, we're almost 30 people. My mother-in-law is like in in her early 80s now. And sometimes we tell her, you know, don't worry, we'll do it at somebody else's house or whatever. But when, when we would go to her house, she'd cook like two lasagnas and salad and meat and all this. She'd move tables, like she would move the tables. She'd bring chairs up and down. She'd, she would work so hard, her sweat and tears would, would be in this food. Not, we knew it wasn't literally, we, we figured that. But, but she worked so hard. And at the end, we would always say, oh, you know, we'd, I would just say, mom, thank you so much for tonight. And uh, she would never say, you know how much effort this took me? You know how much work this took? I mean, I, I hit my scratch my leg bringing the, the chair up the stairs, and you're, you know, you're, my husband didn't help me. Or something. She never said, no, he did help. But she, she never complained, right? She, you know what she would say? She's like, no, it's nothing. I love all of us being together. What she was doing was she was scorning the sacrifice. She was making little of her sacrifice. She was making little of her sweat. She was making little of all her effort. She said, oh, it's it's no big deal because there was joy at the end of it. And that's what Jesus is saying, or that's what this verse is saying about Jesus. He scorned the shame of the cross. He thought nothing of it because of the joy that was at the end of it. But you got to catch this for a second. Jesus thought little of the pain of the cross, not because it was nothing. You know, if if I would say about my mother-in-law's effort, oh, big deal. She loves to do it for us. That would be stupid of me, right? That would be silly, right? You never scorn somebody else's effort. You can scorn your own, but you never scorn somebody else's effort. Jesus thought little of the pain on the cross. We should never think little of the pain on, on the cross. Jesus scorned it, but we should never scorn it. Jesus thought little of it, not because it was nothing, not because it was easy, not because it was simple, not because it was the most logical thing to do, not because Jesus was a high-capacity person and he could endure that kind of pain. He didn't do it because of that. He did it for you. He did it for me. And 
on Good Friday, there's joy. There's joy that's in it for you and me because Jesus endured the cross. And here's the beautiful thing. It's not manufactured joy. You can't make it. I can't create it. It's a miracle kind of joy that only happens when we pick up our cross and follow Jesus and we discover the life of Jesus in us. You know, in our culture, there's endless pursuit of joy. I mean, there's a whole pursuit of happiness, right? We want to be happy. We want to be joyful. We want to have fun. In fact, and part of that is endless entertainment. Um, who, who, who knows now that you can equate the word binging with TV watching, right? You couldn't do it 10 years ago because you had to wait a week for a show. But these days, you can just go on Netflix and watch like four seasons in a week, right? That's called binge TV watching. That's, that's endless entertainment in the pursuit of some kind of happiness or escape or joy. And usually those kind of pursuits, though they might be fun for a little bit, they're really disappointing. I never feel great after watching three episodes of something. It was an escape, but it didn't bring me joy. Joy is a miracle that only happens when we embrace the cross. And here's the invitation. I'm going to ask the team to come up as, as we continue to end. Here's the invitation. Jesus endured the cross because of the joy set before him. If we long for that, then we need to walk through the cross. We don't need to die like Jesus, but the scriptures invite us to die to our sin, to die to ourselves. And as we walk through the cross, we will also walk towards joy. That's why Good Friday is good. And, and here's the beauty of it. Our relentless pursuit of joy was achieved by Jesus on the cross. Our relentless pursuit of happiness is achieved by Jesus on the cross. I love this, this phrase that comes up just at the end. It says, he endured the cross, he scorned its shame, and then he sat down on the right-hand side of the throne of God. I love that. Just think about that phrase. He sat down. What does that mean? It's like it's achieved. It's done. The pursuit is over. I can sit. And I bet you some of us tonight are feeling like my life feels like a whole pursuit. My life feels like I keep trying to achieve something. I keep trying to pursue something. I keep trying to to make myself happy, to make myself joyful, to create fun and entertainment and escape in my life. And the pursuit never ends because we don't walk through the cross to get towards what Jesus achieved for us. Joy was set before him so we could have joy. And he endured the cross so we could be saved. And when, it, and when we just have that image, he sat down, it's that the pursuit is over. It's finished. He's completed our pursuit, and he offers us joy. But we need to walk through the cross. Maybe you're here tonight, and you've been following Jesus for years, and you need a fresh reminder of the joy that's set before you as you follow Jesus. Maybe you need a fresh reminder of what Jesus endured for you and for me. Maybe you're here tonight and someone, a friend brought you or you heard that we were doing this gathering or maybe you're, you want to know more about who Jesus is and, and you, you can feel this pursuit I'm talking about in your heart, but you don't know how to end it. You don't know how to resolve it. And it doesn't mean that coming to Jesus makes life perfect, but there is a sense of satisfaction that happens when we embrace Christ because we realize he completed this pursuit and he offers us joy. And even tonight as we 
I'll walk through some more songs and take some time just to reflect. I invite you to consider, do you want to walk through the cross? Do you want to embrace Jesus? Do you want to put your trust in him? That's the only way the pursuit ends. He sat down for you already. He achieved it already. Let's close reading from verse 22. Could we read it together? Could that be an awesome ending? Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And one last verse. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Amen. God, thank you. Thank you that we can um, leave this evening with hope, uh, knowing that as we walk through the cross, we walk towards the joy that it's a miraculous gift that you give us, God, through Jesus Christ. Um, May we go out holding unswervingly to this hope. And God, as we reflect over this over the weekend, as we either come back here on Sunday morning or LCF on Sunday afternoon, God, we pray that we would, you would just grow in our hearts this weekend and we would erupt in thanksgiving and celebration on Sunday morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.